Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the Movement and Mobility series. This series is hosted by the New Books Network in association with the Mobilities and Methods Lab at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The Mobilities and Methods Lab and New Books Network Partnership provides a platform for authors, readers, and their interlocutors to engage closely with questions of mobility and movement. My name is Aliza Arjan. Today, I'm joined by Professor Charles Piel, a professor of cultural anthropology and African and African American studies at Duke University. We will be talking about his book, The Fixer, Visa Lottery Chronicles, published by Duke University Press in 2019. Hello, Professor Piel, and thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so first off, I'd like to start by asking you, who is a fixer and how does focusing on fixers broaden our understanding of mobility across national borders? So, yeah, a fixer, um, there's, uh, I will explain a little bit about my choice of that term, but um, uh, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, uh, a, a fixer in this context is um, a hustler. Um, is someone who can get done whatever needs to get done to get by um, to, um, uh, to, to, to gain access to a living um, and in the, in the context of this book to get a visa. Um, getting a visa to travel in West Africa is, uh, has always been difficult. Now it's more difficult than ever. Um, and so this fixer hustler is someone who um, uh, who really understands um, a lot of the protocols for getting visas um, and in this particular context for helping people uh, sign up for uh, the U.S. Diversity Visa Lottery um, and if they're selected, help them jump through the hoops, um, fulfill all the protocols at the embassy in order to um, acquire the visa. So that's a fixer now in West Africa, now to the, the, the sort of naming of it. Um, there are many terms um, in countries throughout West Africa about uh, for the person I call the fixer. Um, in Togo, uh, which is French-speaking, they call them traiteur, uh, someone who treats documents. Um, in Ghana next door, they use the term connection man, um, someone who can... Uh, connect people who has networks who can connect people um, to get things done. Um, uh, at the U.S. Embassy in uh, Togo and in other uh, West African embassies, they call uh, these intermediaries um, uh, fixers, uh, which is um, can be a more derogatory term, and it is uh, in its use, I think, at the embassy itself. Um, but I chose to use it for two reasons. One is that it's a it's it's a recognizable term, uh, traiteur, uh, a treater. You know, wouldn't be as a as a title of a book. Um, 
and uh, Connection Man also, I think, is less. Um, it it w- would be less known. Um, so it's for that reason uh, to give it um, a little more cachet, but also, and more importantly, um, uh, one of the big projects of the book is to to attempt to refigure how we think about the intermediary um, as uh, as not someone. Um, who's outside the law or against the law, but someone who actually uh, works within the law uh, in many ways um, and um, is someone who um, uh, helps people uh, to get what they need. And in this case, it's a visa. And um, Kojo, my uh, protagonist in this book and my co-author, spends a lot of his time helping people um, fill out documents um, meet deadlines, um, and um, he speaks uh, he speaks English as well. So, um, uh, and many of his clients don't. So he helps them um, read what's on websites uh, to get stuff in on time um, to uh, fulfill all the requirements to get the visa. Um, so, in all those ways, um, he is uh, he's a sort of um, um, glorified uh, intermediary who helps people um, um, uh, get what they want. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think, um, you know, even the need that people have to go to an intermediary to be able to move across borders is something um, very important in itself. So I was wondering, Um, You know, and in that respect, your book tells us a great deal about how decisions are made about movement. And, you know, in your case, particularly from Togo to the United States, I was wondering, so how does post-coloniality figure into these decision-making processes? And also, how do these decisions shape what post-coloniality means in the Togolese context? That's a nice question. Thanks for that. Um, so there is a large sense in which postcoloniality figures in, and then a, a, a smaller or more narrow sense. And let me start with the the uh, more narrow sense. Um, the U.S. diversity visa lottery um, was established in the mid 1990s uh, in the U.S. Uh, Congress. Um, and there's a long and very interesting history uh, to how it was created and a, and, and a bizarre history as well that I won't go into all the details. Anyone who's interested can read the introduction to my book and I give a, um, a quick overview of it there. But it was, it was actually intended um, not for Africans, but for uh, Europeans and specifically for people from Ireland, for Irish. Um, It was Ted Kennedy and uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, all of these very, very powerful um, Irish Americans uh, who were in U.S. Congress who were um, troubled by the fact that it was very difficult for Irish to get visas to the U.S. uh, at the time, despite the fact that that, uh, people from Ireland had been an early um, what's called seed uh, population in the migrant pool in the U.S. Um, over a century ago, uh, but with time um, had lost their uh, their opportunity to come over. And there were tens of thousands of them here who wanted to get regularized. So these folks in Congress um, decided to uh, try and figure out a way to do it. And they came up with this uh, very interesting idea of a U.S. 
diversity visa lottery um, uh, to try and diversify the uh, U.S. population. And since not many um, Irish were able to get visas, they uh, fell into that category. Of course, they couldn't set it up for a single country, um, this, uh, this visa lottery system, so they uh, did it worldwide. Um, and they didn't imagine that Africans um, uh, who were a, a terribly underrepresented uh, uh, population in the U.S. Uh, would take advantage of it. But lo and behold, um, uh, pretty quickly, um, Africans, when they got word of the system, uh, began to apply uh, in great numbers. Um, and since 1995, from 1995 to the present, Africans have been the largest winners um, every year. It's a very small pool of people who get selected. Uh, 50,000 people are given visas. About 100,000 are selected out of up to 20 million applicants every year. Um, but a majority of those applicants are from the continent, um, and a majority of the winners are from the continent as well. Um, so it's an example of a way in which... Um, uh, post-colonial peoples have um, have hijacked, if you will, um, a, uh, a visa system uh, and use it to their benefit. So in that sense, the visa lottery system um, has been um, sort of refigured by the, the, the post-colonial. Um, in the larger sense, um, uh, if you think about global migration today, at least up until the moment of covid um, you know, there are, it's difficult to get precise numbers, but at least 70 million people have been on the move uh, for the last uh, uh, 15, 20 years um, globally. Um, and there's a large, as, as Shilin Bembe puts it, a large repeopling, uh, repopulating of the globe underway of people moving uh, often from uh, post colonies to the metropole. Um, and uh, why is that? Uh, because of the uh, precarious uh, conditions they live in, the abject, often abject um, economic and political conditions they live in. Um, and um, they feel that they have a right to, uh, to movement and a right to the spoils of the world. Um, after all, uh, it was um, uh, mostly people in the colonies in Africa, um, in Latin America, in uh, Asia, um, who contributed to the uh, fabulous wealth that was built up uh, in Europe uh, and in the U.S. Um, uh, over the past several centuries? Why shouldn't they have a right to uh, that wealth? Um, and so it's for that for that reason that um, I think this is this is uh, sort of centrally a post-colonial phenomenon, uh, the phenomenon of uh, global migration uh, of people moving from um, uh, precarious um, uh, uh, countries and uh, and regions and continents um, to metropolitan areas. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. You really touched upon a very you know important point where you know all these phenomena that we're seeing are actually rooted in inequality. Um, and you know, in your book, despite these inequalities, we see that you know, questions of luck, authenticity, uh, and migration become entangled. Um, and I wonder how these relationships unsettle the distinctions between the supposedly formal and informal sides of the diversity visa lottery in Lomé. 
So those are complicated questions about uh, which I deal with at some length in the in the text um, about uh, luck, about authenticity. Um, let me start with authenticity. Um, a lot of the book is about the um, the back and forth, uh, what I at some points call it the cat and mouse game between um, the street, uh, the Togolese street, those who apply for the, um, the visa lottery, uh, and the embassy. Um, and uh, that the, the gatekeepers at the embassy are trying to um, confirm that the, uh, the 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 person who applied and now uh, during an embassy interview, if they were selected, the person standing before them is indeed who they say they are, is indeed married to the person they claim they're married to, um, and, um, and and would be inappropriate. Um, person to give a visa to, um, and uh, ultimately would be a good and moral citizen uh, in the U.S. Um, and so a lot of the book is actually focused on that micro-encounter in the embassy. Um, and I discovered very quickly that a lot of the um, uh, the criteria for evaluating um, a uh, an applicant uh, on the part of the um, the, uh, the, the uh, consul, the, uh, the person who will give out a visa at the embassy, um, have to do with a judgment about that person's character. Um, and, um, and as I said, whether they are who they say they are, uh, so identity fraud would be a huge uh, no-no uh, and would lead to a quick denial of a visa. Um, marrying someone who is not your, um, your real wife, uh, would be similar, um, and so on. So there is um, a um, a desire to uh, identify an authentic subject. Let's put it that way, um, and uh, and 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 give visas to uh, those people. Now I followed. So a lot of the reason that. Um, um, marriages um, uh, occur. Uh, well, l- let me step back. So you get selected in the visa lottery. Um, you have to go for an embassy interview um, for them to check out your documents. There are a couple of criteria that you have to meet. One is to have a high school diploma. Um, another is to um, have a job on the U.S. Labor Department job list. Um, so you go to the embassy uh, for them to verify uh, one or the other of those. Um, and um, at that time, you have to pay a significant amount of money. Um, it was over $800 until a few years ago. Now it's dropped until uh, it's, it, it's dropped to $330. Uh, that's just for the embassy interview. That's the embassy interview fee. You have to pay um uh, several hundred dollars for a medical exam. You have to pay up to a thousand dollars for um, to have your documents uh, translated and verified to get a passport, um, and you have to have another thousand dollars in your pocket uh, to buy a ticket, uh, a plane ticket to the U.S. And you have to leave within six months after you get the visa. So it's a significant sum of money for Togolese, uh, most of whom, even middle class uh, Togolese, don't have that amount of money sitting around uh, in a bank account or um, under a mattress. Um, and um, so what they do um, is, until recently, it's changed a bit recently, but what they have done uh, for many years is to arrange a marriage. And this is where the fixer comes in, uh, the broker, 
um, they arrange a marriage with someone who has means, a Togolese, a well-heeled Togolese person, uh, could be a, a customs agent at the port. They tend to um, uh, be quite wealthy. Uh, it could be a minister. Um, uh, and in fact, Kojo has several ministers who are clients of his. He's helped arrange marriages with children of theirs to go to the States. Um, or it could be uh, someone who's already in the States who came over the visa lottery or by other means um, and wants to bring um, their spouse over. They didn't bring them at the time or they met them uh, later uh, and they want to bring them over now. Um, or it could be uh, someone who has a sister back home uh, and wants to bring her over or a friend uh, and so on. Um, those people, the, 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 the customs agent in Togo, the, of course, the minister in Togo, um, or someone already in the diaspora, um, are likely to have the means, uh, to be able to bankroll the couple, um, and to pay all of the fees for the winner of the visa lottery. Um, so, um, uh, uh, when Kojo finds someone like that, if he has a client who doesn't have the means and he finds someone who's willing to pay, they arrange a marriage. Uh, between the winner and um, the, uh, the 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 person who's willing to pay. Um, now, those are the marriages that the the uh, U.S. Embassy um, uh, uh, feels are fraudulent. Um, they call them pop-up marriages. So it's actually after someone has been selected, you're still allowed to add a spouse, and they will um, they'll marry um, they'll marry them and. Um, uh, they show up on the application as a recent marriage since uh, the person applied. And those are the marriages that the uh, consulate uh, goes after uh, and, and, and interrogates um, uh, in, uh, in great detail. Um, and Kojo is, uh, is uh, sort of a seasoned um, pro at this, and he prepares people for, um, for the interview, for the interrogation, um, uh, where they will ask questions of uh, of the couple uh, separated, they separate them out. What side of the bed do you sleep on? Then they'll ask the uh, the other partner the same question. What's your favorite color? What's your husband's favorite color? What did you have for dinner yesterday? And so on and so on. This is all trying to get at uh, the authenticity of the couple, right? As I was describing earlier, are they a real couple or not? Um, one of the things I discovered as I was doing this research was that, um, interestingly, even surprisingly, a number of these arranged marriages um, become real, if, if, if we want to use that term. So they are people who meet through the visa lottery um, and uh, fall for each other at some point along the way, whether it's in Togo, whether it's uh, they usually travel together because the um, the, the financier um, buys the plane tickets for both. Um, they often live together in the States until their green card arrives. Um, so that can be for several months. It could be for a year or two. Um, and um, I, have, uh, I have met um, and heard about through Kojo um, uh, quite a few couples uh, like this who've fallen for each other. Um, and uh, so, I, I, again, if we want to use this term, become real, along the way. Um, once I asked Kojo um, about this, about uh, the arranged marriage phenomenon, and that it's that that really um, uh, sets off the, uh, the consuls. And he responded very matter-of-factly, uh, what's the difference between meeting your uh, partner 
um, at the beach, at the shopping mall, or through the lottery. Um, and I thought that was a very clever and sort of insightful uh, response. Um, so that's um, that's to address the, the the question of authenticity that you asked. That these these notions of um, of what Americans consider authentic, what Togolese considered authentic when it comes to relationships, when it comes to human relations, um, are, uh, are are complex and um, in in many cases at odds. So the book is. Um, in, in part, one of the sub-themes uh, of the book is about this medley of um, uh, this sort of competition between uh, um, uh, different notions of authenticity, um, uh, culturally um, uh, given authenticity, uh, American on the one hand and Togolese on the other. Um, as to the question of luck, so, um, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, of course, an important category and um, in Euro-American societies, um, uh, that there's randomness in the world, that there is luck um, to um, my uh, being selected, uh, my getting a job, uh, and so on, as well as merit, of course. Um, but uh, it's an important cultural category um, for um, Euro-Americans, um, and, and less so for Togolese. Um, I don't want to, I don't know if it's true of, uh, you know, beyond Togo to West Africa more generally. My guess is that it is. Um, for Togolese, things always happen for a reason and you can control your fate. Um, so, uh, Togolese love the fact that it's a lottery that selects them. Um, but they add to that. They say, well, I was selected by the lottery, but there's a reason, either a divine reason. Um, or something that I did uh, that enabled my name to pop up, that enabled me to be selected. Um, and so there's no um, sort of pure category of, uh, of luck for them or randomness for them, um, uh, at least for those people I know. Um, so they are throughout the process um, uh, doing all they can uh, to um, increase their luck. Let's put it that way. Um, so they um, they go to church more often. Uh, Togolese are quite religious. Uh, many of them are Christian, um, uh, Pentecostal. They go to church uh, uh, every day of the week now. Once uh, they've been um, uh, they've applied and before the selection process, um, they um, uh, they 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 forsake sinful ways. I have some wonderful stories of people who. Um, you know, were philanderers and stopped their philandering ways uh, when they applied for or after they were selected in the visa lottery before the embassy interview. Um, if people are not Christian, uh, they may uh, uh, go back to the village and do ceremonies there uh, to increase their chances and so on. So luck is a really interesting category. It's something that um, I write about a little bit in this text. Um, it's something that I may pursue a bit more uh, uh, down the road because it's it's uh, it's also a complex category. Um, so I think maybe that is a response to your two questions there um, about authenticity and luck. Of course, um, this was a great response. Actually, I mean, it's fascinating to me that. Um, you know, the making of an authentic subject is sort of um, part of what Kojo does, but yet it's sort of a fragile subject. Like we see him, you know, not succeed in 
presenting himself as an authentic subject to the embassy, which I found, you know, I mean, very interesting, again, circling back to this question of luck. Yes, Kojo's case is fascinating. I mean, here is uh, the most brilliant um, um, uh, broker in Lome, um, uh, who's, uh, who, most of whose clients uh, get visas. Um, and he's, you know, thanks to him, he, he coaches them, he tutors them, um, he anticipates um, every situation at the embassy that could occur. Um, he, he schools his clients in how to respond to them and so on and so on. Um, and against all odds, um, uh, most of his clients uh, get through. Um, he himself has never gotten through. He's applied now for, uh, for over 20 years um, and never been selected. Um, he has married himself to three different uh, women. Um, and every time something has gone awry, um, uh, not not his own doing, but uh, uh, the, you know the doing of usually the other party. Uh, the first person, um, a young woman, uh, was just so panicked. Um, even though she'd been coached by Kojo for several months, she was so panicked on the day of the embassy interview that she just completely froze up and no words. Easy question after easy question from the consul. Uh, no words came out of her mouth. Uh, they failed. Um, and he, he married two other people and uh, one thing or another went wrong. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of the great ironies uh, <clears throat> at the heart of this project for me that the most brilliant visa broker um, in, in the area uh, is able to get visas for everyone else except for, for himself. Um, so, um, yeah. Um, speaking of Kojo, I re reading the book, I kept wondering what your fieldwork looked like. Um, in the book, you mentioned some of your ethical concerns around making his um, tricks of the trade, so to speak, legible by writing about them. So I'm wondering, how did you work through these concerns, particularly as you were doing the research? So the great dilemma for me um, in um, in publishing this text was whether to publish it all, um, uh, because um, uh, as you can tell from my last couple of answers, um, a lot of uh, a lot of my research time was spent, and a lot of the text itself um, is also spent documenting um, sort of tricks of the trade, uh, secrets of the street, um, how people. Um, get by on the consuls. Um, and um, so the worry, of course, um, and this is an age-old worry for anthropologists um, uh, who, uh, you know, most of us uh, deeply want to protect our research subjects um, from, um, you know, the ill effects of, of, uh, of power and uh, prejudice uh, and so on. Um, so should I, um, should I publish a book um, about, um, uh, you know, about secrets, about trade secrets. Um, and wouldn't I be at some level harming um, uh, 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 future Togolese who were also applying for the visa lottery? Um, so, you know, I was asked this by um, friends. This, I, gave, I gave talks about this material um, and um, 
if people in the audience would ask this question, it was almost always the first question. Um, uh, friends of mine, uh, colleagues of mine uh, in my home university uh, constantly ask me, students ask me, uh, and so on. And um, I, I, for the longest time, wasn't sure. I asked Kojo. Um, I asked some esteemed colleagues of mine, Ashil Mbembe, Francis Nyamjo, uh, African, African colleagues, um, and the answer from both Kojo and them was, uh, without hesitation, um, yes, you need to publish. Um, and um, they said a number of things. So uh, Mbembe and uh, Nyamjo said, um, it's a wonderful illustration of um, West African street savvy. Um, and if appropriately contexted, uh, uh, placed into context of uh, uh, precarity and uh, abjection uh, in this area of the world today, um, it makes an important contribution to our understanding of the area. Um, and besides which, um, uh, it, it's unlikely that uh, um, flat-footed consuls uh, would be able to keep up with someone as clever uh, as Kojo, all of which is true. Um, and um, I asked Kojo, and he gave a series of really interesting and thoughtful um, responses. Um, one was that um, the consuls know all of this stuff already. Everything in the book that you're going to publish, uh, they have seen and they've known about. They've known about for at least the last 15 years, uh, which is certainly true. I, I interviewed the consuls, uh, several generations of consuls um, 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 over the last uh, 10 years or so, and uh, they they do know all of this material. Um, and Kojo added to that, he said, you know, my practice is constantly changing, so my strategies are different from one year to the next. And if the consuls use your book um, as, a, uh, as a manual, um, they'll be looking in all the wrong places. In fact, I'd be delighted if they used it as a manual because um, I've, I've, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm working in a, in a different register today. Um, and then he added as well that, um, well, he, the, two, two more things. One was that, um, as I had told him um, for many years, and as, as he's been entirely aware of himself, he writes me and asks me this question every year, is the visa lottery going to be... Um, uh, done away with this year. Um, and uh, Republicans in uh, U.S. Congress have tried to um, eliminate it for, uh, well, for the, the last 20 years. Um, uh, uh, Donald Trump himself has been out to do it in. Um, and we can talk maybe later about the current status of it. It's been suspended um, until the end of COVID. Uh, they're hoping, of course, to eliminate it altogether. So every year it's under threat. Um, it has never been voted out because in order to do so, it has to be an act of Congress and they will have to pass a new um, immigration bill. And uh, the Democrats and Republicans haven't been able to agree on one um, for over 20 years. Um, so it's still in play. Um, but, um, you know, it's um, it's uh, I, I tell Kojo every year, it's quite likely that by the time this book sees the light of day, um, it will have been eliminated. And indeed, we'll see in the next year. The book just came out. Um, uh, the, the program is currently in suspension um, and uh, it may be eliminated, um, uh, but especially if um, if Trump is able to um, uh, uh, agree to DACA. 
in return for um, getting rid of the visa lottery and a few other aspects of the, the current immigration bill. Um, so um, uh, that was his third response. And the fourth was um, that uh, and this was sort of uh, his agenda, his, his large agenda in the beginning when he agreed to um, speak to me at length about this material. And he, I, sh I should just add here, he was extraordinarily open and, um, and surprisingly to me open. We were very good friends going into this, but, um, you know, this is his business. This is his livelihood. This is, um, this is his passion and to risk having, um, all of these, um, these, these state secrets published. Um, to me was, was, uh, you know, was, uh, for him to assume a fairly large risk. Um, but, um, he was willing to do it. Um, I can, I can talk more if you want about some of the reasons why I think, but, um, the, the final reason, which was, I think his biggest reason is that, uh, he's an, he's, a he's a, an intense critic of embassy practice, uh, uh, because it's his business, but because he follows it very closely. And uh, he knows when people make mistakes at the embassy, as they do. I mean, a very complicated set of rules and procedures to apply um, of deadlines um, and this, that, and the other. Um, and he knows when they make mistakes. And he wanted me to publish this book in part to um, correct their mistakes and to bring to the attention of the U.S. State Department uh, the arbitrary nature of a lot of the decision-making that goes on um, and the just um, you know, two quick decisions that uh, that consuls render um, in evaluating um, Togolese uh, lottery winners. Um, that was his big reason for wanting the book published. And um, so on balance, he said, look, they know all this already. Um, and um, I, I, I want you to publish this so that um, the embassy might, in fact, reflect on and think critically about their own uh, practice. And I should just add here, um, I was when I was publishing this, the, the folks I was most um, nervous about um, and concerned about were these um, these consuls who I had known and many of whom I became friends with and liked very much um, uh, over the years um, and that my book would be read as um, a strong critique of their um, of their practice which I, I think it is um, but I got an amazingly uh, interesting and thoughtful set of emails um, from people at the, at the embassy currently um, saying that they'd read the book, they didn't agree with everything, but that they they were going to take quite seriously some of the criticisms of current uh, embassy protocol. Um, and uh, that was uh, that was surprising to me. And, um, you know, and and sort of went straight to uh, to Kojo's point um, about trying to um, uh, change for the better um, embassy practice around the visa lottery. It's fascinating to hear that, you know, what Kodra aimed with this book um, is 
a part of the feedback that you're getting. And on a related note, um, so in this interview, you referred to Koju as your co-author and his name also appears in the cover of the book, uh, which is not something we see very often in anthropology books. I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit more on that. And I was also wondering how the sensibility figured into your writing practice and how you speak about the book now. Well, this was an easy one for me. Um, not only is Kojo a, a very good friend um, uh, and was absolutely um, a you know full collaborator, a full participant in this project, um, but also you know the, the book is his is is his story. I mean, all of the stories that I tell came from him. Um, some of them from other people. There are other fixers who I, I also worked with, but it was mostly with Kojo. Whenever I was in um, Lome, he lives in the capital. I've, I've done most of my work in villages in the north, so I spend a lot of my time there. But when I'm back in the capital or when I just arrive, uh, Kojo and I um, sit down every day in a little bar. Yeah, it was always the same bar called After Beach. Uh, the, the English terms, um, and um, and we would just jump right into it. I would ask him what the latest uh, um, news was about his clients, what the uh, uh, you know what some of his strategies were, and he, we would just spend um, several hours um, every day when I'm in the capital going through this, and still today, even after the book's done. Uh, I was in Lame in March, and uh, uh, we followed the same drill. Um, so. All of the book is really Kojo's. It's his story. Um, and um, and so the thought that he wouldn't be a co-author, you know, would, would have been scandalous to me. Um, and I, um, uh, I, I asked him early on uh, when he began to tell me, it was actually, I began to learn about some of these stories from him when he had uh, married the first of his three wives, uh, and um, told me how he was preparing her, and uh, and then of course what happened at the interview and so on. And um, I found um, her story um, and the stories of others that he was beginning to coach um, uh, sort of riveting. And um, asked him if he minded if I would um, publish about them. And uh, we had a conversation about it. And he said, No, not at all. Go ahead. Um, I wrote an article that was published in uh, Politique Africaine in, uh, in Paris in French. Um, and uh, he speaks very good French. He read the article. He liked it. Um, and um, I said, uh, you know, it would be this material is, is uh, really intriguing to me. And I think very much speaks to the current global moment we're in. And I would love to publish something more substantial, maybe even a book. Would you um, would you be interested in co-authoring a text? Um, and he said, "Let me think about it overnight." The next day, he came back to me and he said, "Absolutely." Um, and he began himself uh, writing notes about possible chapters uh, and so on. So we agreed right from the beginning that he would be a co-author. Um, and and the question for me at the end, his name was going to be on the book. It, it was. Whether it would be Pio and uh, Batema um, or Pio with Batema. And I decided on the latter because, um, in, in fact, of course, I wrote the entire text. Um, 
uh, he doesn't, uh, he speaks okay English, but not, uh, not good enough to be able to write um, a text like this. And he's not an academic. So I wrote, you know, every word of the text, uh, all of which I ran by him. I mean, he read every chapter and um, gave his approval or not. Um, I mean, usually his answer was, well, yeah, this is what we talked about. Um, and, um, you know, let's keep going. So um, that's the sort of authorship question. And I'm very, um, you know, I'm delighted that he agreed to be a co-author. Um, I think he um, he feels um, uh, quite pleased as well. His picture is is on the on the front cover. So uh, what's not to like um, in that? And um, and, you know, I'm I'm trying to be very careful about um, sharing any proceeds um, uh, that the book, um, you know, will bring in. Um, in fact, I, I, you know, I got a small, um, early, uh, advance, um, you know, royalty payment from, uh, Duke Press and, you know, uh, a couple thousand dollars and gave that, all of that to him, um, and so on. And all of the annual royalties as, as small as they are, unfortunately, academic books don't bring in, uh, much money, but, uh, they will go to him as well. So, um, you know, I think it's been uh, I think it's been a good partnership, and um, I'm pleased with the way it came out. Yeah, and it definitely shows in the text. Um, so that's wonderful to know about. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about some of the stories in the fixer that are not necessarily centered around Kojo. So. As you say, there's an afterlife to the fantasy uh, of the United States. And you met with some of the Togolese that um, actually, you know, were successful in the diversity visa lottery and ended up in the United States. Um, I was wondering what life looks like for some of these Togolese people that you met. Uh, and, you know, especially after... Um, after the recent changes in legislations uh, regarding this visa lottery. And I'm also wondering what kinds of labor relationships their movements sustain. Um, thank you for asking that question. Um, it's an important one. And, it, um, you know, I didn't know in the beginning whether the book would just be based in Lame, um, you know, with people before they travel um, or not, because it's a it's a quite different story when you um, uh, when you make the rounds um, of people who are already uh, in the U.S. Um, but I felt after I'd written most of the chapters that I really it would um, it would complete the story to um, to, to 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 make the rounds uh, to some extent here as well, and to find out what the what I call the afterlife of their um, uh, of their travel or their their, their dream uh, is, and so the second to last chapter is about that. Then after I after I wrote that chapter and um, got reviewer comments, uh, both of my reviewers said, you know, it would be nice now to take um, take the the narrative back to Lome and have a short final chapter uh, based in Lome um, uh, and um, uh, for you to take some of the conclusions, some of the insights of your your travels in the U.S. back to Kojo and see how he responds. And so that's what I did. I actually made a short trip back to Lome in February two years ago um, and sat down with Kojo for a week and um, 
and then wrote um, a short a short sort of postscript um, out of that. Um, so yes, the uh, the following people who were in the states. Now this was um, originally uh, going to be a Kojo story as well. I was hoping to be able to get him a visa to come to the States and make the rounds with me of his clients. So people whose stories I write about in the earlier chapters that we would actually visit them um, and uh, see how they're doing. Um, and I knew a consul quite well at the time um, who knew about Kojo. He'd read a couple of articles I'd written about him. Um, he also knew that Kojo um, had been imprisoned in uh, Ouagadougou and Burkina Faso by the embassy at one point um, and had tried to get a visa through by marrying a couple of women. But he, his only concern was whether Kocho would stay in the States or not. And um, he was convinced that he would because he knew that he was doing really good business in Togo. And uh, Kocho has told me many times he would love to come he would love to see friends here, and he would go back home. Um, and I'm sure that's the case. Um, in any case, we tried to get – I tried to get um, Kojo a visa, and um, uh, I won't go into the details of it, but there was an unfortunate, unfortunate for Kojo event that occurred a few weeks before he went in for the visa interview um, in which one of his clients – uh, uh, for the first time, I think, was upset with him and went to the embassy to complain um, and falsely um, suggested that Kojo was trying to extort her. Um, and um, and she wrote his name down and the consul had his name when he came in. He talked to him for 15 minutes, but he said, uh, sorry, je suis désolé, I can't give you the visa. And I later found out why. Um, so I, I was hoping and uh, I was convinced that he would get the visa and that we would have a, a really interesting trip in the States together, but that didn't work out. Um, so in place of Kojo, I was fortunate to um, uh, to know a really good friend of Kojo's and someone who uh, knows many of Kojo's clients from Lome. Um, but this friend, Jano, uh, lives in the States now in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, although he's just moved his family back to Lome, he's actually returned, but he comes and goes. And he was a good friend who had actually lived in our house for six months at one point when he came over. And um, he agreed to make the rounds with me. And um, so we, we, uh, we made um, several trips, one to Newark, New Jersey, where Jano had first lived when he arrived, uh, one to uh, Omaha, Nebraska, which um, is a real um, a sort of entrepot and uh, sort of, you know, center for Togolese in the States. Um, it's called um, Togoville um, or Petit Togo. Um, there are a lot of Togolese in Omaha, Moline, Illinois, um, uh, Raleigh, uh, of course, in North Carolina, uh, and so on. And um, I was interested just in seeing how folks are doing. And uh, we spent um, three, four, five days in each place and made the rounds. And, you know, mostly people who Jeanne knew or um, had heard about uh, or, you know, sort of snowball sampling, um, like, um, you know, one person would tell us, oh, you've got to talk to so-and-so. And, um, and, you know, my questions were, so uh, what is life like uh, now that you're here? What's your work like? 
Um, are you able to uh, make a living? How much money do you send back um, each year? Um, and um, and uh, uh, do you visit? And uh, uh, do, you, uh, do you desire, do you want to go back home? Um, and the story was amazingly consistent. There were a few. So first, everyone, uh, because they have the green card, they automatically get the green card when they um, they pass the embassy interview back home. Uh, because they have the green card, they get jobs right away. Um, and they're at least minimum wage jobs, sometimes better, but usually not. Um, working in Walmart. Uh, working in meatpacking plants. A lot of Togolese are working in meatpacking plants in the Midwest. Um, working um, at the airport in Newark um, and so on. But they're full-time jobs and usually with um, at least marginal benefits. Um, and uh, even on minimum wage and working long hours, um, they can uh, they can get by here and send money home um, every month. So in that sense, they all consider their story success stories. Um, uh, many of them work more than one job, so they can have more money to send home. Uh, most of them cannot afford to buy a house here. Um, they hope to be able to buy a car, um, a large TV set, uh, and, uh, and, and pay the rent. Um, so they are... Um, you know, small success stories uh, in that sense, and they would all um, they would all uh, agree to that. Um, but at a larger level, they um, you know they all miss home. Um, uh, the, the parents do. The ones who won the visa lottery, their children become Americanized pretty quickly. They have West African parents, Togolese parents, um, and so eat uh, Togolese food at home and. Um, and speak one of the Togolese languages, um, as well as French, uh, but they learn English quickly. They go to uh, U.S. schools. Uh, they become culturally literate, um, and um, and their friends are here. They're not back in, in, in Togo. Um, so their children become Americanized and, and actually uh, succeed. We have many students that uh, or several students at Duke who were whose parents were uh, diversity visa lottery winners uh, and uh, did very well in the school system and uh, get into good uh, good colleges. Uh, but the parents themselves all miss home, and uh, to a person, there were one or two cases uh, where people said no, they would stay. But uh, almost everyone else said that they would return to Lome tomorrow. Um, if only they could get a decent job there. Um, and um, to me, that was um, that that was a sad uh, finding and um, a sad outcome to this um, this story of dreams. Uh, you know, people uh, uh, wanting to leave home because of precarity, of dreaming about an elsewhere. In this case, the U.S. Um, uh, about um, <clears throat> about uh, winning, uh, being selected in the visa lottery, and then miraculously passing the embassy interview and having the visa to travel. And you should see people back home. When they get visas in their passports, they show the passport and the visa to everyone. Um, it's, a, it's a real badge of honor um, and a notable achievement. Uh, so after all of that uh, and um, finding the money to travel and getting a job, 
um, uh, you know, five years in, 10 years in, they all uh, would prefer to be back home. They, you know, they say, um, you know, this isn't our culture. Um, we, um, you know, we don't make enough money to really enjoy life in the U.S. You need more than minimum wage to do that. Um, we don't know where to go on the weekends to find entertainment. This is your, um, you know, your society. We know that you guys like to go out to eat with your families on the weekends. We can't afford that. You know, to take my family of four um, uh, to a restaurant will cost me over $100. Um, you know, that's uh, that's more money than I have. So we just stay home. We watch TV. Uh, we eat our own food, which is terrific, but we still miss the food in Lomé more. It's, uh, it's better when you eat with your friends. They miss the social life. They miss, you know, hearing the language uh, spoken in the streets and markets and so on. Um, so to me, that, um, that finding and that sort of end to the book um, was a sad and, and even semi-tragic ending. Um, of course, most of them, I know a few. Jeannot has just gone back. He's done quite well. Um, he's a, uh, a, 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 you know, an amazingly impressive entrepreneur in his own right. And he's done well enough to be able to um, move his family back to Lome to build a nice house there. Um, he has three daughters who are all in school there. Um, and he comes and goes. He's in uh, Raleigh right now during COVID um, working for Amazon. Um, but uh, most people um, don't uh, do as well as Jano and uh, just aren't, don't have his sense of adventure and entrepreneurialism. Um, and so um, he's been able to do what many others, uh, most others can't. Um, and they're stuck here um, because of that. Uh, if they tried to go home um, uh, without money, without a job, uh, people would, uh, you know, family members would say, what are you doing? You know, you've been supporting us all this time and now you're coming back here and, you know, uh, uh, we aren't going to have that support um, and so on. Um, so and just one other little sort of anecdote there I have seen. So they don't move back, but they uh, after they're established here and, um, you know, have a have a U.S. passport, they have to wait usually five years for that. Um, they will um, ideally go back and visit. Um, once a year or every other year. Um, and they love to go back during holiday season um, around um, uh, in December um, and to take a month or six weeks. Uh, and um, I have seen many of them uh, who were clients of uh, Kojo's and others uh, when they come back to Lame. Um, and uh, they are the happiest people you have ever seen. Um, they're with their friends. Um, it's a hot season, so you know you. Um, it's a hot time of year, but they love the heat too. The, you know the, the the cold of the American Midwest is not uh, something they ever really get used to. Um, and um, they go out with their friends every night. They go out and uh, eat fufu in the in the food bars of Lame uh, with their friends, and of course they treat everyone. Um, and they just have the time of their lives and uh, take gifts to their family members and so on. Um, and what uh, what uh, I realized um, after I'd seen a few of them is that they um, they against what their experience is here in the U.S., which is just making enough money to get by minimum wage um, and years of um, 
not unhappiness, but, uh, you know, wishing that it were different. Um, when they go home to Lome, they, um, they never tell people what it's like here. And they don't tell um, current uh, visa lottery winners before they've uh, come over what it's like here. Um, they um, instead perform success. They rent big, flashy cars. Um, if they aren't staying with family members, they rent a nice apartment in Lame. They take their friends out every night um, as if they were towering uh, successes, uh, which isn't uh, their story at all for most of them. Um, I've asked them why they don't tell people what it's really like. Um, and they say, you just can't. Why not? Because they wouldn't believe you. They see the money coming back every month. They watch TV. They see how people live here and imagine that everyone lives that way. Um, and they would wonder what you were trying to hire, hide uh, from them, what I was trying to, trying to hide from them. Um, and um, so it's a, um, it's a large secret uh, that, um, that keeps alive the fantasy back home and keeps moving across people moving across the ocean um, and, um, you know, can never be told by people who were here and living, um, living the other side of the dream, the, uh, the afterlife of the dream and the, and, and the sad afterlife that that often is. Um, and um, uh, so, you know, they said that to demystify it just wouldn't work. Um, so it's an interesting part of this puzzle that sort of keeps, you know, that speaks to mobility and global mobility as well. These sort of fantasies and secrets, I think, are um, are, are tied up with um, with these migrations and um, uh, sort of mobility dynamics. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Pio, for giving us insight into sort of the afterlife of these movements. And in general, it was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us and your insights. Thank you, Elise. It was, um, it was my pleasure as well. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, so on that note, I am Aliza Arjan. This discussion of the Fixer Visa Lottery Chronicles, published by Duke University Press in 2019, is brought to you by the New Books Network in association with the Mobilitism Methods Lab at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thank you for listening.